everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 440, House of the Catfish. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, it's a good start to the week. No complaints. Have you started Game of Thrones yet? Two episodes out. I've watched both. Wow. <laughs> Love it. Slow. Should we just change it now? Are we the are we the Big Chill Game of Thrones podcast? Um, I would say no. I mean, it's just a slow TV period, right? So... That to me is the only reason why it's kind of made the cut is there's just not much else on to watch when there's no sports. But you're gonna you're gonna get pushed with two Lord of the Rings episodes this weekend coming up. Yeah, I mean, as we discussed on a previous episode, I I might just miss out on one of them, and I thought I was going to be missing out on the Game of Thrones. But you know what, Game of Thrones did what they needed to do, and they premiered before lord of the rings and it worked it clearly worked oh no 100 percent. as we said you predicted it entirely correctly i would i am the perfect example of someone who would not have been watching this tv series had it come out after the game uh, after the lord of the rings or if it yeah. had just come out when there was more on tv it's as simple as this if it had just come out during football season i'm not watching it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like We'll see. It's good so far. I, I got no complaints. Um, it, it's, it's tough with a show like this, two episodes in, to, to make a decision. It's fine. Yeah, but it's... a lot's going to happen in like these first five episodes. Like it, within the next three, the all the young people are going to like age out. They have new character, new actors already for them. That like halfway into this season. So that's how much it's going to change. Well, spoiler, but I think it's not a spoiler. It's been <laughs> announced like thousands of times. <laughs> I didn't know it. You spoil it for me. Put it that way. Some of us aren't reading all of the latest Game of Thrones gossip. I, but I will say, whenever I watch a big TV show come out like that, and you just know what a career maker it can be for people, for the people who either are aged out like that or die really early on, even though they will have known that going in, it must be such a disappointment. Like the Queen... I guess this yeah. is a spoiler. The queen dying. The fact that your Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Who dies during yes. pregnancy with the, yeah. the C-section. First episode. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that your Game of Thrones experience is so limited that it will have basically no impact on your career must be, even though she will have been fully aware of that because it's so early that it's not as even as if like later in the season you got written out. It must be yeah. kind of disappointing. Better than nothing, but still disappointing. Yeah, very true. But so far, I, I'm, I'll definitely continue to watch without without a doubt. Matt Smith's really good in it. I mean, I think he's clearly the best actor in there. Yeah, he's kind of the star of the show at the moment, I would say, through two episodes. But he also has yeah. sort of the most interesting character. I think a few of the characters yeah. are kind of duds in terms of you know, what they're contributing to the show itself from a script pr perspective, but he's the one that's the most, you don't know which way he's really going to go yet, which is yeah, interesting, I guess, but yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I guess the other one too is pa Patty Constantine is a pretty famous actor, but the, the thing with him is, is 
he's playing such a dull character that he doesn't really get to yeah. shine too much. <laughs> he just literally just sits in his room and plays with his Legos. <laughs> and develops sores. Yeah. Just... That is gross infection. <laughs> From sitting on a jagged throne. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of a strange concept, but yeah, no, it's not. Which I don't understand because after the first time it happened, wouldn't he just get like padding? <laughs> wouldn't he just be like, guys. Can we get some like nice memory foam padding here or something? Yeah, or just maybe, yeah, just dull the edges of the swords slightly. Like, do you, you know, you, you're not going to pick the throne up and kill someone with it, so it doesn't need to be razor sharp. Or maybe that's what's going to happen in a few episodes from now. It's going to pick someone up and just smash them onto the Iron Throne. Impale them. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of the visuals? Because a lot has been made. This is the the new way they're doing a lot of the special effects now, where it's um, instead of a green screen, it's like one massive LED monitor behind them. Yeah, like and they, they did with put Star up Wars. the things, like they did with Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they look pretty good. The dragons I are still pretty good. The dragons are still a bit iffy to me, but I mean, I don't know what I expect if you see it. Like they look a lot better than the original Game of Thrones. Yeah. But I'm not blown away by the visual effects. I'll put it that way. But it's it's certainly, it's not taking me out of the experience. Like, I'm not disappointed yeah. with it. But at the same time, I'm not going, wow, this looks totally realistic. It doesn't look as stupid like the gif of the kid throwing himself out of the tower. Yeah. You know, that. and when you look at that, with <laughs> that one. Episode one of season one of the original Game of Thrones. Yeah, and, the, and there, the graphics are just, the visual effects Terrible. are just awful. So it's it's not like that, sure. But it's... I wouldn't say it's, it doesn't appear groundbreaking in any way, but then what do I know yeah. about visual effects? Well, it'll be interesting to see when the new Lord of the Rings comes out, if there's a difference between the two and which one will be better. I'm sure James Cameron will be really disappointed. James Cameron, what am I saying? Um, James Cameron. Now, you know, the New Zealand guy who does Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson, yeah. Fucking hell, Eddie. You just made so many nerds. <laughs> that we just lost We just lost every nerd that listened. At least I caught myself. But, you know, just two guys who are really into really long-term projects. They're interchangeable. You're going to try and avatar us on a fucking Lord of the Rings show, Eddie? Come on. Well, one of them explored, the, you know, the, the deep seas, and the other one brought World War I back to life. So they've, they've, you know, they've both got weird side projects and really long-term movie projects. But... Yeah, I would think Peter Jackson would be extremely disappointed if he is not able to outdo, you know, because Peter Jackson's one of those guys where that's what you associate with him is kind of groundbreaking visual effects on all of his projects. Yeah. So if he's not able to outdo Game of Thrones, he'll be disappointed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just concerned that you said the dragons don't look too realistic, which makes me wonder where you're seeing where you're seeing your dragons on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they're supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah, I know. I encounter them every once in a while. Now, I know you always like the updates on things that I am seeing regularly on social media, talking about me encountering dragons. It seems that Instagram has decided I might have seen enough of the couples having the fake interactions with each other that drive me insane. And instead, I guess with it being time when people are going back to college, I am being overloaded with sorority like rush videos of them doing <laughs> what are you clicking on instagram i haven't clicked oh on. my god but just like them doing 
choreographed dances in front of their sorority houses. This is just what I see now <laughs> at least four times a day. And also the thing that blows my mind and kind of amuses me about it is sometimes they're like really small schools and fairly small sororities because then I'll go and look. And this is a reason why I'm definitely seeing more of them. I will see, I will be like, why is Instagram suggesting this for me? And then I'll go and look at their page and only 1300 followers or something, you know, like, and then it's baffling me even more as to how the algorithm decided that that should land at my feet. But there it is. Man, someone's got to take a deep dive into what you're clicking on on Instagram, <laughs> because this is disturbing. Yeah. I'd be I'd be less worried if you said you were just getting a lot of dragon videos. <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe next. Who knows? We'll see. I'm sure I'm two or three weeks away from Instagramming, deciding, um, you know, it's time for something new. And we'll see what that is. Speaking of something new, although I guess technically it isn't new because, well, let me explain the story. <laughs> uh, I'm in a wedding party for a wedding for next year. And we had to go get fitted for our tuxes. And I went on a, a, a rant about it with, with a friend that I don't get why wedding parties are still insisting on tuxes over a suit. It's costing $280 for me to rent a tux to wear one time and then hand back. I would much rather we pick out like a suit or like a color of a suit. And even if you had to buy it and even say it was more expensive at like 350, 400, I would rather the ability to buy a nice suit and have it for life than to rent a tux that isn't going to look that great anyway, because it's a tux and they never look that great for one time and have to pay almost $300 for it. Like it, it drives me insane. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, the tux at a wedding, right? It's a decidedly American thing, or at least it's a non-European thing. I mean, you do see it. And now you get people doing it, you know, attending weddings here where people are trying to have like the wedding they then see in America. So then they do go down the tuxedo route, but it's, you know, it's not the common thing here. I would, yeah, I would always much prefer a suit. And I would, I mean, renting for 260, I'd rather be spending like a thousand dollars on a suit you own than $260 yeah. for something you're wearing once. Yeah. But I mean, so I've been in, I've been in other wedding parties where we got suits. They weren't super expensive and they were nice suits. I still wear the suit. And the only thing is you have to go and get it tailored, which costs some money. But that could be the other thing too, is as your wedding favor, instead of getting like those stupid embroidered gifts that you always get that like you never really use, I would much rather someone be like, Hey, you go buy the suit. And then I'll pay to go like get it tailored or something like that. Yeah. That would be, I, I think that's a great wedding favor. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can remember at my sister's first wedding, she de she definitely just paid for the bridesmaid's dresses. Ooh, shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> Had to throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have some listeners who attended the second wedding and maybe potentially even a bridesmaid who attended the second wedding listening going, I didn't have my bridesmaid dress paid for, well, you did the first time around, just not the second time. But, and again, I think that's a nice, now, obviously that's, you know, can, that depends what your budget is. I think there, that's still a nice scenario where if you're trying to give like a present to really good friends of yours, you know, the idea of getting them a suit also 
you know, kind of if you can fit that into your wedding budget, that's also nice. But yeah, even if you're asking for them just to buy it, if it's a nice thing, it's also a nice reminder, right? So that every time you put that suit on in future, you think about that person's wedding, whereas yep. you're never going to put on that rented tuxedo again. I think of I think of my cousin's wedding every time I have to put on the pants that we had to get a size 38 waist for, even though I'm a size 32, and we had to tailor it so much <laughs> that the two back pockets almost look like a unipocket. <laughs> uh, what a humble brag about uh, your thigh funny. size. Yeah, that was funny. Great pair of pants, though. I love them. Now with the U.S. Open fully underway, not too much to discuss on that front. This is the major sporting event of the week, I guess. Serena Williams made it through the first round, which is nice for her, considering this is her swan song. And the big surprise so far is Tsitsipas was knocked out yesterday. And, you know, he's really had a season to forget. Having a rough rough few months yeah as someone who was appeared to be poised to be one of the players to step up and and fill the shoes of the you know and we spoke about it right on in the last episode with Djokovic being absent Sitsipas would have been one of the players you would have considered I think he was the fourth seed for this one of the players you would have thought was in with a chance so to be eliminated in the first round by someone ranked I think 109th something like that is a is a huge disappointment for him and and just a you know season is kind of falling apart but it also made me think obviously you know one of the big storylines from Sitsipas's season was the issues he had with Kyrgios at Wimbledon and we did not discuss the fact that in the fallout from Kyrgios's Wimbledon final he is now facing a a lawsuit from the woman who he accused of having 700 beers and asked to be kicked out of the stadium after she had repeatedly said things. She is now seeking legal action against him. Say, I mean, he said that she'd looked like she'd had 700 beers, 700 drinks, sorry, and was drunk out of her mind. And she, she has now said that this was a reckless and entirely baseless allegation. Not only did this cause considerable harm on the day resulting in my temporary removal from the arena, but Mr. Kyrgios's false allegation was broadcast to and read by millions around the world, causing me and my family very substantial damage and distress. The, I, when I read this, I, I couldn't believe this. This is such BS. It's um, unreal. First off, no one knew it was her. No one knew who it was until she put in the lawsuit. No one like, oh, oh, caused my family such harm. No, it didn't because no one knew you were the one that was accused of 700 drinks. Second off, she then admits that she was being like kind of loopy and out of it. And she blamed it on it on the heat. She said she had one or two champagnes and then the heat really hit her hard and she was like out of it. So regardless of how many drinks you had, you do admit that you know, like you weren't with it completely. I just, if it's, it's so dumb, but then what's really funny is they play the, Oh, I'm not actually suing for the money. I'm going to donate all of the money to charity. So then why, why does it matter? Yes. And also, I mean, she's not suing him immediately, right? She made this, the part of the statement was, I hope that Mr. Kyrgios will reflect on the harm he has caused me and my family and offer a prompt resolution to this matter. However, 
if he is unwilling to do so, I am committed to obtaining vindication in the high court. I think she wants it. She did this to make herself known. Yeah. You'd do you know what to, I mean? Like, yeah. Like, there, no one knew it was her. I mean, here's the, I guess the, I guess we're making a, be, be, because I, there wasn't even video, because video would have come out. A hundred percent, if, if, uh, famous tennis player accused someone in the stands of berating them and having 700 drinks and being drunk. If there was video or photos, someone would have said like, and this is the woman and have her like, like sloshing around. (laughs) See, I think she might, I'm not entirely certain that she didn't at some moment in time get shown on TV in that, during that exchange. Now, I don't think it was substantial in terms of how long she then appeared. Is there a possibility that friends, family, employer saw that and went, oh, that's Susan. Susan's really drunk at the Wimbledon final. Like, I I think I can't rule out the possibility that that's the case. And I guess that would be embarrassing if that's you. But, I mean, I'm not going to go and try and sue Kyrgios as a result. Like, I think I would be just disappointed in my own behavior that I even got to a position where that was a possibility. And then I would want to just quickly sweep it under the rug and tell people I know I wasn't actually drunk. I was just trying to encourage him and maybe I went a little bit too far, but I I don't know. This is, that's the other thing I don't understand is he was complaining that she was like annoying him, but then she says she was encouraging him. (laughs) So what was she saying that she thought was encouraging that he thought was like mean spirited? Well, I think he, I think she was just annoying him. And I mean, we had, okay. We do, you think that's what it was? Yeah. And you just have to factor in, this is curious, right? He gets annoyed by a lot of things and is not exactly someone who doesn't have a, he has a, you know, a long history of fan interactions, both positive and negative. So I don't think you necessarily have to do a lot to set him off. So it's entirely, she claims that she was just trying to let him know that not everyone in the stadium was against him and that she liked him. I can entirely, like, I don't disbelieve her in that fact. She could have just been yelling like, Kyrgios, I love you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And him going, I just want her to shut up and get out of here. I mean, the guy screams at his own box 15 (laughs) times a set, right? So I think we can't, we can't rule that out. Maybe, but altogether, just a pretty ridiculous incident in general, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I just think it was so pointless. Yeah, but speaking of, I guess, controversies and also taking us a little bit back onto the TV topic, I know that both of us have watched the Manti Teo documentary that came out a week or so ago on Netflix, a two-part documentary that looked into the the catfishing incident that, I mean, fundamentally derailed Manti Teo's career. I thought it was a pretty well-made documentary. It was interesting. I think they did a good job of getting lots of people to speak on camera extensively. I think, obviously, the two main people you needed in that story being both the person who carried out the catfishing and Manti Teo himself having both of them feature so extensively is great. I do admit the one person I maybe wanted to hear from, and I can understand why she didn't do it, but was the person whose photos were being used. Like I kind of the wanted... identity that was stolen. Yeah. yeah. Like, 
routinely because part of me what i thought throughout the process was like if you're her and then you know that manti teo is kind of into you and he's a football superstar isn't there part of you that wants to almost reach out if she were single and and go hey i'm the real person like i do exist also the part that was strange about that aspect of it you have a woman whose identity was stolen, not her identity, but her pictures were consistently being stolen and and used. It got to a point in the media that they were showing these pictures, especially when the uh, his apparent fake girlfriend had died. These pictures were being used. I find I, I can understand that maybe she's not a sports fan, isn't watching ESPN, but how that no one that knows her didn't notice on ESPN her picture continually popping yeah. up and being like, hey, you know what's really strange? Your photo's on ESPN <laughs> with a different person's name. And yeah. they're you're saying you're Manti Teo's girl uh girlfriend. Like Or at least that was strange to me. Or at least that 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 it never no one ever it didn't click with anyone. Or someone just saying, you look a lot like Manti Teo's girlfriend. Even if they haven't put, <laughs> even if they haven't realized that that is actually her photo because they're old photos or whatever, but just saying, "Hey, you know what? Isn't it crazy? Like that girl." And also, I think you're right because even when you then factor in the fact that it's like they're all Hawaiian, such a kind of insular society that Manti Teo would have been an even bigger deal within that community, and there was such a tremendous overlap in terms of all of these people kind of knowing each other to some degree that you would have then thought someone would have said, isn't this weird? Like this guy who's from our town or whatever, who became an absolute superstar, his girlfriend who supposedly died in Hawaii looks a lot like you. Like, I do agree with you. But then I don't know. They, they talk about when the story started to unravel. I would encourage people obviously to go and watch the documentary it, itself. Cause we're not going to do like a full breakdown, obviously, but they do talk about when it starts to unravel that there are people commenting on social media that they know who the real girlfriend is and stuff. So maybe there were people yeah. saying all along, oh, this is maybe, you know, we, we know what's going on here. I felt really sorry for Manti Teo throughout the documentary. I, I do in that. Respect. See, I did not. The thing that I still don't get is in a sense how you fell for it entirely and mostly what I don't get, the moment where I just went, no, this is too much, is the coming back from the death moment. Like, that's the time when I would have immediately thought to myself, no. Now, wait, wait, what What one are you talking about? The time where she was on her deathbed with cancer or the time that she <laughs> actually died and then came back? The time when she actually died. Okay. The, the cancer bit, I think I could have probably, again, I don't think I'm full in for any of this, but the you know, we have to take her, he's a really young kid, pretty sheltered, I'm guessing, in terms of his interactions with girls, having, with the fact that he's Mormon, you know, I think you do have to consider that part of it, that that's probably changing the dynamic in terms of how he's interacting with women. I actually didn't know he was Mormon until watching this documentary, I have to say. And I just assumed, because he went to Notre Dame, that he was a devout Catholic. But uh, I think that bit I can get, but the but when... When you have the whole death thing happen and then she calls you and goes, Manti, it's me. Can't you tell who it is? I, I just had to fake my own death. That's the moment when I'm just completely out. Like there's just no chance. Yeah, I see. 
I did. I got a different perception of Manti Teo after this documentary. I think he is one, not very intelligent. And two, he is extremely narcissistic with an amazing God complex, which can be understandable coming from, I guess, from a small town in Hawaii where everyone probably propped him up on this pedestal. But one, the reason he chose Notre Dame, he did not want to go to Notre Dame at all. He wanted to go to USC. He was dead set on going to USC. He chose Notre Dame because he went and talked to his priest. I, I think it's called a priest in the Mormon church. I'm not sure. And he told him that God said he needs to go to Notre Dame. So the pure fact that he no, thinks that's he's not, getting no, his no, no, information no. from God to go to Notre Dame. No, that wasn't the story. It was that Yes, he, it was. No, it was that he'd made his decision to commit to Notre Dame and he went and prayed. It was like the day he was going to make that commitment. And he prayed. Oh, you've got to go back. Okay, you've got to go back. Before you tell me that, let me finish how I interpreted the story and then we'll go back. But he prayed and then he was going to go and like walk into some office to, I guess, confirm the news that that's where he was going to commit, make the commitment. And on the way there, he bumped into whoever it was, his the bishop or whatever title he had within the Mormon church, who then told him, oh, I always thought you would go to somewhere like Notre Dame because you're going to go to USC and just be another Hawaiian. But I thought you were going to go somewhere like Notre Dame and be Manti Teo. So he didn't say God told I'm pretty sure I'm right on that one. The, I, 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 yeah. I think the way I read it from him is that it was as if like the... He wanted a sign the, from God. And that was his yes. sign from God. Yes, he did openly yes. say that. He wanted, he'd wanted. he asked for God yes. for a sign on if he should not go to USC. And he took that as the sign you should go to Notre Dame. I do agree with you there. But if you're super yeah. religious, look, as a non-religious person, I just can't relate to, to that side of things. Like the idea that you're interpreting. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the same way here. But the fact, even what you, like how you said it, like you should go to Notre Dame and be Manti Teo. To me, I interpret that as him being like, oh, a higher order wants me to go there because I am who I am. Like, I think he was extremely conceited. And then the fact that I thought he was the most conceited was during the time when his fake girlfriend was supposedly dying of cancer. And he stopped talking to her? No, and he would just call her and like be on the phone. And she and he goes, and I would hear her say, man, die, man, die. And I just... I, it felt so good to be, to know that I was the one that was bringing her back and that she was living because of me. And I was the reason she was surviving. <laughs> See, like, come on, I like, think, come on, dude. I think you went into this, watching this with Manti hate, like hated spectacles. And, and I just approached it as someone who didn't have too strong of an opinion on Manti Teo, other than the fact that I remembered him being very good at Notre Dame, the catfish story. And him fundamentally being an NFL bust. Like I had no opinions on him as a person. I knew very little. The only personality aspect I knew about him was the catfishing. I'm going to defend him again a little bit on that. I think if you're calling, if you are in that situation and you do have doctors and family members telling you, look, she's unresponsive aside from when she's speaking to you. I don't think that's like a God complex to think that was a pretty incredible experience to feel as if that they're hearing me. I think anyone could fall into that trap. 
And it's not thinking that you have some special power. It's just assuming that someone, for whatever reason, you're special enough to someone where like you're getting through to them in a situation where no one else can communicate with them. And I mean, I think everyone deep down kind of believes that sometimes where they've had family members who've been really sick. Eddie, in no way, shape or form would I think someone is surviving, not because of modern medicine, but because their will to want to be with me. (laughs) I don't know. I think you're going to have a lot of people listening to this, Frank, who disagree with you, who've had family members. Their will to want to be with me never having met them in person. Well, that's, I mean, there you're adding a And talking to them and then talking to them for two years. Yeah, I mean- If you're going to tell me your wife of 60 years is the reason you're surviving, okay, maybe. No, see, but there you're adding another element to the story, which I, again, I I agree with. I just think you're going to have a lot of people listening to you here who will, many of whom may even have personal experiences of something kind of similar. But I think there'll be a lot of people who will have had moments where they've had, you know, sick- sick family members in a hospital bed who are unresponsive and they feel like, do you know what? When I talk to her or him, I get a hand squeeze or I get some kind of notable reaction that nobody else gets. And you would have a doctor telling you, keep talking to them. They are hearing you. So I think, yes, to say that that was the thing that cured her over modern medicine, of course, that's a little bit extreme, but to think that maybe in some way you are helping someone in a difficult moment I can buy into that, but. And I, I just, like it's, it's just very difficult for me to believe. I don't know. It, I don't think he's in on it that I don't think he's in on it, but it's just very difficult for me to believe that at any point in time, the numerous times he tried to either go face to face on a video chat or meet them in person and it never panned out for however long it was. And he's still like, it didn't even really cross his mind. It, it's just, I don't, it's just so strange to me. And I get, I get in the documentary, he kind of says that like catfishing wasn't a thing back then. Like it, it and it kind of was like, I think he's just wrong on that, that he didn't realize it. he didn't know personally, but it still was a thing. But even at that point when she was recovering from a near-death cancer experience and he kind of wanted to go and see her and he still couldn't go and see her, it's just, I don't know. It, Look, there's a lot of... there's a It's lot of, very convenient. It's very convenient that that didn't bother him. <laughs> no, there's a lot of issues there. And I do think there's part of me that thinks... The, where I think he doesn't come across necessarily that well is in some ways like how legitimately caring he is for this supposed girlfriend in not putting in that effort to, I've got to go and see her or I've got to attend a funeral or, you know, whatever. They never really discuss the funeral element in the documentary. If you see what I mean, like that never really gets brought up that, yep. that neither his parent, like his parents talk about speaking with the brother or who, or the cousin, whoever it was supposed to have been for hours but there's never a moment of, and we asked what's going on with the funeral and no details were shared. There's that part of it. Now, I guess to catfishing was definitely a thing because this is what, 2012, 2013, the TV show Catfish on MTV debuted in 2012. So, you know, like it was in the, the zeitgeist. 
And I, I can believe that he may have not have been aware of it conceptually. I get that. Because again, I think he probably lived a pretty sheltered life. And I do think it's difficult to rewatch it with kind of modern eyes with all of the challenges of video calling. Like I think particularly for younger people, they won't realize even in 2011, 2012, like face to like video calling, unless you're on Skype, just wasn't great. Like, and you weren't going to have a phone capable of doing it easily necessarily. Like I, I can, I mean, for two years, it's a hard mis- like thing to cover up for, but I don't think he was in on it. I think he knew something was up before he let on, he knew something was up. I think there was a moment when he realized, which he kind of talks about in a way, like going into the, the championship game, him knowing it wasn't right. I think he knew before that and that he just wanted to protect the idea of Manti Teo, the fact that the girlfriend dying and stuff was contributing to his Heisman candidacy. And I'm not necessarily saying he's wrong for having done that, but I think he was m- more aware of certain elements than like it, it, it kind of goes from, I didn't know to suddenly the whole world knew in about four days. And I just don't believe that. I, ha- I haven't finished the second part, but oh. I would actually say the second, the, the, the second part is kind of actually better for me because I think it's cool to see how quickly they figured out she was fake. Like someone outside of the story, you, you know, like once they're like, Hmm, is she real? Let me check. And within two days, they're like, no, she's fucking fake. A hundred percent. Like it was so quick. <laughs> if you haven't seen the ending, then I do think you're missing an important part of the story. Cause the, my other big takeaway was it, I do feel a little bit sorry for him that he got sold up the river a little bit by everyone else around him. They just started disassociating themselves with Manti Teo and they were happy for him to look as bad as possible as long as they weren't looking bad in the process. So I think Notre Dame should be slightly ashamed of themselves that they were just worrying about Notre Dame's image and not the well-being of a pretty young person who was going through an incredibly difficult, very public moment. So I think there, there should be an element that they should feel a little bit of responsibility for it. I also think the documentary itself ends with him talking about the challenge of now having to face people in public and knowing that most people are making fun of him, but that he needed to continue to sort of play and interact with people and approach people with the mindset that maybe they did look up to him and were inspired by him and were being genuine in their interactions with him and not kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop where they've got a picture with Manti Teo and then walk away laughing or whatever it is. I think that's a pretty sort of powerful element within the documentary, I will say. But overall, it's interesting, but it, it does make me question a lot of how you could be fooled that much. It, it, I, I agree with you. It doesn't, it raises questions about him, but it also makes me feel very sorry for him. Yeah, it makes you feel sorry for him. I, I, and even when he was going through it in real time, you kind of feel sorry for him because it, what you're saying too is right. It's not as if he did something illegal. You know, it's not as if he, you know, he committed a crime and no one has his back. He he got caught being an idiot and and naive and kind of stupid. You know, but at the end of the day, he didn't do anything wrong. You know, well, and and that and that's kind of disappointing. Even even in the sense that no one, everyone kind of just like stepped away from him and like let him sink. 
even if you think he was in on it, there's only two possible reasons as to why he was. One was because of the Heisman candidacy, and he thought that this was a great way to increase his sort of national awareness by having this storyline attached to him. And the other one, which I think is pretty awful that they talk about in the documentary, just the suspicion that he's gay and that he'd got this girl, fake girlfriend to cover up for the fact that he was gay, which in many ways, a terrible way to try and cover up. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who do this and I'm, you know, it's not a, something I can directly relate to. But if you are a semi-famous person trying to cover up for the fact that you're gay, having the fake girlfriend is not a great way to do it because you probably know sooner or later it's going to come out. I could have just not had a girlfriend, particularly as a Mormon player. Like no one would have thought anything if Manti Teo had just said, I'm Mormon and I won't, you know, like I'm not, I'm waiting for the right person. I don't exactly have casual girlfriends and meet people. Everyone would go, that sounds pretty Norman, Norm, Norman. That sounds pretty Norman, a normal Mormon. Yeah, I agree. I'm just surprised he, he decided to do this because at the end of the day, maybe you do feel more sorry for him, but you still step back thinking, man, how did he fall for that? You know, like it's yeah. like, it doesn't really help his image too much. And if anything, like you said, it just brings it back and reintroduces it to people who maybe didn't even know about it the first time or never heard of it the first time. And now you have another audience who now knows him for being the guy who got terribly catfished. That bit's definitely true. There's a lot of people who will watch this documentary who don't watch football, who definitely don't watch college football, who aren't American, you know, because it's a Netflix documentary. There's going to be a lot of people who now know who Manti Teo is and know about this story. I guess the advantage of it is, is they're being told it in the way he would, I assume, like it to be told to some degree. So at least he has some control over that narrative. Now, this isn't, Again, this isn't judging him. I agree with he doesn't look great. You you kind of watch this and think, no matter what, this is weird and a bit dumb. But I think we're going to see more of Manti Teo now. He had completely disappeared. He was out of the NFL. He does no media. He's just gone. I would not be surprised if in the next 12 months we start to see Manti football, Manti football, Manti Teo on college game day or, you know, some, particularly in the college football world, where his college career is so impressive, I think we'll just start to see him figure in that respect more. So his motivation for doing it is probably, yes, this is extremely embarrassing. I don't personally think I could have sat down with a documentary crew and talked through this experience. I, I would have felt so embarrassed by it and make my parents go through it again and stuff. The whole experience, I think, would have been too difficult for me. So I have a lot of respect for him for being able to do it. But I do think the goal from that for him is to kind of put the Manti Teo name. And look, he's appearing on, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think if a year ago we'd wanted Manti Teo on this podcast, we would have had it easily. And now Manti Teo is going on huge, like the biggest ESPN podcast that, you know, like wouldn't surprise me if you see Manti Teo on Joe Rogan at some point talking about his story. So he has put himself into a different stratosphere in terms of maybe what his media future might look like. 
Speaking of his parents, his his father didn't seem too happy about this incident. <laughs> oh look, he he came down on him pretty hard. <laughs> but that made me that made me also feel like it was all more genuine, you know. And you saw the pain that his parents, I did, like the genuine embarrassment. What I would take away from is great transformation from his dad. His dad has lost a ton of weight, like unrecognizable. Um, yeah, Manti yeah, Teo, yeah. Manti Teo dad in 2012 to Manti Teo dad in 2022. Doesn't look like that. I mean, Manti Teo looks different to use the kind of term people would young kids would be throwing around. He had a bit of a glow up, you know, so already Manti Teo looks a little bit better, but his dad definitely shed a lot of pounds. That shows what your child going through an incredibly stressful time might do to you. Well, Eddie, we've come to that time in the podcast where I'm going to bring us into a BuzzFeed article, About, your favorite. Is it a BuzzFeed article on the Live Golf Tour? Do we get to do our world no. get to combine? No, not yet. I will, I will look for that article in the near future. But this one I wanted to bring up because I know you have a funny story about it. And I would love for you to retell that story because it cracks me up. Okay. I'll read you the title and you tell me if you can remember the story. All right. And if I can tell the story, on the, do you think, I, are you confident I can tell the story on the podcast? I think so. Okay. <laughs> People swear by these really unusual, but supposedly mind-blowing food combinations. And after trying them myself, some genuinely shocked me. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what my food story, my food combination story is. It involves watermelon. Involves watermelon. You might need to prompt me more than this. My brain might be going a bit slowly today. You told someone about a great condiment you can put on watermelon to make <laughs> it taste better. Talk about <laughs> like playing the long con of a catfish. You played out this story to someone for almost a year, convincing them that watermelon with mayo tasted great. Like, randomly, you would be talking to this person and just be like, yeah, just having more watermelon with mayo again. It was a big commitment on my part. Yeah, I remember, that was, yeah, that was a long time for ago. For no reason. Nah. It was just a commitment. You just committed to this joke. You were like Conan O'Brien, who just like can commit to a joke for years on end. That was like what you did, but it was putting mayo on watermelon for no reason. Oh, no, I would encourage people. I think if you can just like at some moment you're bored in a conversation and you can just throw out a random detail that you can just just bring up from time to time in the future, you will eventually convince anyone of almost anything. And it is a good example of that. I've had a few long cons like that. I, I once convinced someone, uh, talking about Mormons, I convinced someone in my high school that Mormons had specifically evolved from bats. And because we had two people, we had two Mormons in my high school who had uh, double, were like double jointed with their shoulder blades. And so their shoulder blades bump, like popped out a lot. And this was an incredible, this was like a very intelligent person. We were 16, 17 years old, and for six or seven months... I this was... person is not very intelligent, Eddie. <laughs> you cannot tell me. If you had said six or seven years old, I might have believed you. <laughs> but yeah, I got it. But no, I've had a few good long cons in my life. I haven't done a long con in a while. I'm going to have to do a new one. 
I'm going to start a new one. I'm going to think of one that I can do. And then I'll, I'll keep people updated on the podcast and people can follow along. But I'll try and think if you can have a solid eight month. And yeah, this culminated in the person eating watermelon with mayonnaise on it. And enjoying it. <laughs> yes. And, my, and then <laughs> agreeing with me that it was good. Uh, so I mean, good. you say this, maybe the joke's on us. Maybe it is good. Well, now that you mention it, Eddie, there are 30 combos this this woman tried. The first one is a peanut butter and mayo sandwich, specifically Miracle Whip. Is Miracle Whip really mayonnaise? I always thought Miracle Whip was like kind of different. Yeah, it's the one of a kind taste of creamy mayo and tangy dressing. Yeah, but that's the thing is I think isn't Miracle I mean much of the sameness, but I think Miracle Whip's like I've never had Miracle Whip, but I was always under the impression that it was sort of mayonnaise. It's not good. But um yeah, that doesn't sound good on paper, but No, she didn't really enjoy it. Didn't do anything special for me, says this one. Do you want to throw out some things and I can tell you if if any of them are on there? What do you what do you think are some unusual things people have tried? Maybe not even the combos, just like one of the ingredients. Um because there are a few that come back like every time. Pickles. Pickles, yep. Pickles are in like five different things. So like pickles and vanilla ice cream. That was one of them. Yeah, that's gross. So there's certainly worse things to put on your ice cream. But would she try it often? Probably not. I mean, what, it's not a good review of trying a food and saying there's certainly worse things. Like, I could have taken a dump on my ice cream, but instead I put a pickle on it, and I would prefer the pickle. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not telling us it's, an, it's a viable combination. Pickles and mustard was another one. She said, we've reached a verdict, Your Honor. Pickles and mustard are freaking delicious together. Why would that surprise you? You have pickles and mustard all the time. You know, I mean, not, but just pickles and mustard. No, but I mean, I wouldn't want to dip. I wouldn't like to just take a whole pickle and just dip it in a pot of mustard. I don't want to, like a jar of mustard. I don't want. Well, to that's dip. that's what the tip was. But it, <laughs> if you're just putting a like eating a pickle and you're putting a little bit of mustard on the outside, I mean, I eat pickles. Yeah, I think that's. But you eat it with mustard. If I have a hamburger and it's got a sliced pickle on it, and sometimes I just pick, okay. sometimes the pickle falls out and I stick it in, you know, like you just eat that slice of pickle and it's got just the condiments on it and it's tasty. How about mac and cheese with pickles? Um, I could see that being okay. She thought it was good. Who is mac woman? and cheese is a beautiful, customizable medium that just so happens to be a fantastic vehicle for dill pickles. Yeah, I, yeah, it's believable, especially if you're dicing them up and just kind of stirring them into the mac and cheese. So it's just adding that. I wouldn't again. I wouldn't probably want to stick a whole pickle just and like scooping mac and cheese out. But who is how this about person? this one? Is this just a random BuzzFeed employee? Yeah, of course. <laughs> How about this? A peanut butter, dill pickle, and bacon grilled sandwich. Mm. I don't think I'd want it. I'm not a huge peanut butter fan, so this would be my issue. But I could, I can, I can wrap my head around how that's okay. Somehow, I don't hate this sandwich, even though my mind tells me I should. That remind. Do you ever have the Elvis sandwich? Now that's good. The peanut butter, banana, and bacon, no. like grilled. No. That is good. 
don't know about the pickle. So, and then a, a lot of the other ones were like flaming hot Cheetos were featured in a lot, like flaming hot Cheetos and olives, flaming hot Cheetos and vanilla ice cream. There weren't any that oh, flaming hot Cheetos and French onion dip. Like that is that really that gross? It's it's Shots like dip. Yeah, except the chip happens to be a Cheeto. Just a slightly <laughs> different chip than you would expect. Yeah, no, yeah. that doesn't, that sounds, I mean, what we're going to really have to ask the listeners is what do they enjoy more when we go through BuzzFeed articles or when we talk about the Live Golf Tour and that can influence our content in the future. And if you want to have an input on that, you can follow the Big Chill Podcast on Instagram or on Twitter or on YouTube and you can comment there and let us know which one do you prefer. Do you love them both? Do you hate one? Do you hate them both? You can let us know. How about scrambled eggs with salsa? Yeah, that's really strange. Welcome to fucking Mexico, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you had like a breakfast burrito or a breakfast taco. That's pretty much yeah. that. Also, people regularly Here's, regularly have like ketchup, ketchup with eggs. So that's, yeah. that's, again, kind of the same thing. Yeah. And then some are just like oddly specific. Cheddar cheese curds and caramel sauce. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> I've never even had like fried cheese curds on my own. Like, that's got to be a very small group of people who at their house are making fried cheese curds. No. Yeah. I mean, I've never had curds outside of poutine. So. Yeah. I mean, I've I've had just curds when I've gone to like a, like, like, a, like a cheese shop. I don't think I have. And the grossest one was banana slices topped with Kraft Singles. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the grossest. Like, I could definitely eat that if I had to. Like, if that was the dare, I'm like, that's not making me sick, but I'm not enjoying it. Now, we, we talked about Manti Teo, and we've talked about TV. There's obviously been, I guess, worth saying, we've previewed it a few times. Our NFL full season preview will be coming out in some of our upcoming, in one of our upcoming episodes. But one of the big off-season debates has been uh, Tom Brady disappeared for 10 days, 14 days, whatever it was, from the Buccaneers training camp. And there was pretty heavy speculation that the reason he had gone was because he was appearing on The Masked Singer, was the reasoning with people. Like his ex-teammate. Yes, and the theory behind it being that he obviously made the decision to retire, and then he was going to be an announcer on Fox. The Masked Singer is a Fox program so that he would might have contractually committed to be appearing on The Masked Singer and had no way of getting out of it. And it was somewhat feasible for him to do, given the fact that it only took him disappearing for two weeks. And he happened to disappear at the moment when The Masked Singer is definitely being filmed. Now, there was pretty rife speculation surrounding this. I don't know if you saw, he's reappeared in press conferences now back at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It appears Tom Brady is going through some sort of a difficult time. He looked a little bit the worse for wear, and I don't mean that in a critical way, but just a little bit gaunt and a little bit worn down in his press conference and then just spoke about the fact that he's 45 and when you're 45, you get pretty big problems in your life and life gets complicated. It was a little bit of a depressing press conference, I have to say. I did not I did not see this, but yeah. I just feel sorry for him because it, it appears that he, and you know, who knows what it is. And it's, it's not nice to kind of speculate as to what it could be, but 
I felt sorry for him that you're, again, it's a little bit like the Bandai Teo situation in some respects where you might be going through something difficult and you just have assholes on the internet saying, I think Tom Brady's appearing on The Masked Singer. That's why he's disappeared from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers training camp. I also don't understand why people think that this means that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to have a bad season. I don't know why a 45-year-old Tom Brady needs to those extra 10, 14 days in training camp in order to have a decent season. Like That bit doesn't make sense to me. If anything, it's going to help them. I mean, he's 45. How many good days has he got left in him? <laughs> well, that's even more <laughs> depressing. <laughs> but whilst we might not cover the Live Golf Tour on this episode, although we can note that it looks like there's a few more players signing up, Novak Djokovic, who we've previously mentioned for his the fact that he is missing from the U.S. Open, his PTPA a proposed breakaway tennis organization closed a $26 million investment round this week. So there is a possibility that tennis might be going the same path as a live golf tour. Maybe Uh, I don't think it will be quite as big of a breakaway, but I could certainly see some rival events being sprung up. Uh, This is not the first time Gerard Piquet was pretty heavily involved in in an organization that was trying to do something similar, but just interesting to see that this might be becoming a little bit of a trend in the individual sports scene where you have players trying to create rival tours or tournaments. Is PK doing that because now he needs to find a new wife? (laughs) No. (laughs) PK, this was this, yeah, this is long before the, the Shakira breakup. You don't really hear much about that. I have to say as to, Oh, it pops up on my Facebook all the time. Oh, really? Well, yeah. there we go. I get sorority girls and you get Gerard Piquet. So. I get Gerard Piquet, Shakira news, and I get who's going to be the next James, <laughs> Bond. The next James Bond. And if you're interested, Tom Hardy odds have dropped significant or have gone in his favor significantly in the past week. So, so there's a him. hint that Tom Hardy might be the new Bond. He was like one to 12 and now he's jumped to like one to five. You mean Sorry, he was, five to one. Yeah, he's twelve two, to one. Yeah. Now he's like five to <laughs> he one. He was one to twelve on. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd, I, I, I would be surprised if it were Tom Hardy. Just doesn't seem like a Tom Hardy style move. But no, and it also doesn't because in the other articles I've read that have popped up, they're looking for someone much younger. They want a younger person because Daniel Craig started out later, like older in age, and. They're kind of limited with what they can do. So they wanted to start with maybe someone that's much younger and do like a young James Bond story for two or three. See, here's Uh, the thing is, I don't understand sometimes how the Instagram algorithm fully, like how it brings things to my doorstep because I don't really engage with a lot of it. I know how you get the James Bond articles because you actually (laughs) read them. Yeah. It's very true. I, I get a ton of Marvel ones, and they're the Marvel has the worst clickbait ones ever, and they get me every fucking time. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Tom Brady, though, I don't know if you saw that his last ever the supposed what was supposed to have been his last touchdown throw, that ball uh, has gone back on the market because uh, oh i did not we discussed that this would happen yeah so originally sold for five hundred and eighteen thousand dollars, only hours before brady announced that he had unretired and 
that what a great life choice that was yeah is now back in an auction which closes i think it either closed i it closed this weekend on sunday so i actually do not know what it sold for but the minimum bid was twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> Oh, that's cutting your losses, all right. <laughs> but I mean, the way you can spin it, I think, is you say this is the infamous ball that was the last touchdown throw that no longer was. <laughs> no, it's got to be worth something. <laughs> I saw people commenting on it because I saw some of the coverage of it in the news, and people were commenting saying, "Well, now it's just a normal touchdown, like normal NFL game day ball, so it's worth, you know, like five hundred dollars." It's not a normal NFL game day ball. Like there is so much of a story attached to that ball than there would be just an average, even if you want to say an average playoff game ball. So yes, it's not worth anywhere near the amount of money that was it was going for first time around, but I could definitely understand someone buying it. Like I think it would be I think it's I think it's a cooler object now than it was if he had never unretired. You can try and spin it that way to make some of your money back, but and just ultimately say, that guy's that guy's fighting an uphill losing battle. I bought it. That's why I'm saying that, Frank. And here it is. <laughs> I spent seven hundred thousand. Yeah. <laughs> the guy made money. I put it this way. I think the difference is for $500,000, I would have sold it no matter what. Like there would have been no moment in which where that piece of memorabilia would have been worth more to me than half a million dollars. However, now if you're expecting to sell it for $25,000, $30,000, and then you're imagining you're losing, obviously, fees to your auction house and taxes, you know, so you're maybe walking away with, you know, $15,000. If $15,000 wasn't going to make a significant difference to your life, at this point, I would now hold on to it. Now it would be, I want that ball sitting somewhere in my house, and I'm telling the story of every person who came to your house. Like, that would be the thing. You would tell that story to every time you went to a bar, and you were like, what's your go-to story? I'm the guy who had the supposed last touchdown. Like, that's, that's like, oh, meet Frank, last touchdown guy. Like that defines your life almost. Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> Eddie, stop trying to convince people to now buy it from you. <laughs> and it is back on the market at minimum bid yeah. is 50000 Yeah. This is like the, it's like the horror from It Follows. Except instead of passing a ghost through sex, you're passing a cursed football through an auction. Okay. <laughs> Practically the same movie. That's an interesting <laughs> analogy. <laughs> I would have gone like, whatever, the traveling pants or sisterhood of the traveling pants or something might have been a better comparison. But yeah, it follows works. No, because this is horror. This isn't, this isn't feel good. So Tom Brady turns up at your house if you own it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the movie too, because I can just picture because the the whatever the spirit or demon or whatever, it just walks really slowly. <laughs> so 
I just picture Tom Brady just casually walking down the street to your house. <laughs> that's why that's why he was gone for 14 days. It took him a while to get to Paris. It's a long walk. Yep. There you go. So any any other news, TV shows, movies, updates you'd like to discuss? Oh, I have a quick trivia question for you that's movie related. Okay. I know you're a big Harry Potter fan. Yep, I've seen one movie and never read a book. There you go. Huge fan. Yeah. How much do you think Daniel Radcliffe made from all of the Harry Potter movies, including ongoing royalties and merchandise? Well, I think I've seen previous... And I, I'll, I'll just specify there's eight movies. For, yeah, I think Because you have no idea. I think I've seen previous previously that his he has a net worth i mean these internet net worths right are just not talk about his full net worth no just i understand harry potter's but i'm i'm just working through my i'm showing oh, my work okay okay i think i've seen online previously that he has a net worth of something like 150 million dollars now again i know that those net worth calculations are incredibly inaccurate but assuming that fundamentally if it's if it's in any way in the right ballpark i'd have to assume he made $120 million from Harry Potter. It's reported that he's made $95.6 million. Which, right. to me, seems kind of low. I'd agree with you. For as big of a franchise as it is, and from eight movies, because yeah. that means you're basically saying he averaged like $12 million a movie. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's fucking Harry Potter. You know, yeah. he is... You know, he is the main title character of probably it's it uh, I'll, I always mess this up is it the highest grossing franchise bes- behind Star Wars I don't know anymore I don't even know how you calculate what well, I don't fran- know if the Marvels count yeah I don't but, know what franchises are anymore if you see what I mean like but let's just say one of the highest grossing right yeah uh, and then there's now you know there's amusement parks dedicated to it which I'm sure he has some tie-in to that royalty. It just, oh, it kind of seems I bet you low. he doesn't. Because, I mean, the thing that will have screwed him, right, is the fact that he was just an unknown kid. So all of his original deals, I mean, he probably got paid like... You want to guess? I have it. For the first movie? Yeah. $200,000. Nope. More? 500000 It's a cool even number. A million. Yeah. That seems see that seems too much, like if you were, if you're making a okay, they will have known that it was probably going to be big just based on the success of the books. So you will have known this is a big deal. But he is literally an unknown child actor at that point, and you think you would have said if you're like, what's the negotiation if you're his parents or his agent or whatever, and they say no, you have to have Daniel Radcliffe, and they will say we could have any, but we're going to make a star here. Like this is you should almost be paying us to be Harry Potter. Because like this is going to be a life changing experience, so the, the original million surprises me. But I would have just thought by the back end that he would have been making thirty million a, a movie. So he made fifty for the last two combined. Wait, what? Oh, combined. The last. Okay, I see. I see what you mean. Because it, it was a yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. It was a part one, part two. No, no, I no, thought. No, no. You, I thought you knew Deathly Hallows was a two part special. Eddie. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's somewhere in my memory. Filmed there. at the same time. You don't remember that? 
no, I wasn't there, so I don't remember the filming. But um, yeah, I mean, look great for him. Yeah, and now he is sober and in indie films. Yeah. Oh, and he actually was in that movie I suggested. The was it Lost City? The one with Channing Tatum and uh, Sandra Bullock. I said oh, Lost yeah. City, something like that. The chick, the the romantic comedy. Yeah, I have to give Daniel Radcliffe credit in terms of how he's rebuilt his career. Like he's not still because now you're just sort of like pleasantly surprised to see Daniel Radcliffe in things, which I think is a pretty like that's a pretty quick transition from having been the most famous movie role in the world for quite a long period of time to now just being someone who's happy to have sort of interesting cameos almost in a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's actually pretty funny too. He's, 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 he's a pretty witty guy. I've heard him on interviews and stuff. He's, he gives a good interview. uh, He seems, yeah, maybe, Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll have him on here one day. That'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) What if? Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you, we'll, we'll put him in, we'll set him, we'll set him in our sights. He'll be in another person we target. Yeah, just don't Rupert Grint me. <laughs> don't trick me and, and give me say you're getting Daniel Radcliffe and, and Rupert Grint me. I do not know the reference. So anything else to discuss? I think we should mention that college football's back. It is back, yeah. And we So we had some games last we had some games last weekend. Uh, the Nebraska Northwestern game at Dublin was yeah. an interesting game. Yeah, the Avivo. Um, Yep, and then now you have, I guess, the official start. I, I I consider this week. You know, most teams didn't play last week, but you have the opening slate. It's it's pretty good. I I do like that they've at least been able to put together a few good football games for college to start the year versus the what was the traditional play a division two team and it's every team every top 25 teams just blowing out some team no one's ever heard of that you know makes a ton of money for going to penn state and getting losing by 65 but this year you've got uh cincinnati arkansas so that's two teams in the top 25 and good for cincinnati because they're playing an sec team so that you know might help them uh oregon playing georgia that's uh oregon's i think 10th or 11th and georgia's third, third, second, third, somewhere on there. So that would be an interesting matchup. Notably, Eddie, you'll remember, Oregon had a great start to their season last year. <laughs> a crushing defeat to Ohio State that cost a lot of people a lot of money. And Ohio State is bringing it full circle, playing Notre Dame in the night matchup, number two versus number five. So... It'll be fun to watch some good football again. Yeah, and college football is smart about this, right? Like they need to start their season off with good matchups because they have to get some good matchups in. And I know like if you're into college football or if you're into football in general, you're just kind of in for the full ride. But for the slightly more casual fans, I'd put myself in that category. In spite of the fact that I'd probably watch college football most weekends, I don't have a college that I support or cheer for in any way. So it kind of removes me a little bit from, you know, the kind of complete fandom 
experience. What about oh, hi oh? <laughs> well, once you learn how to do that right, I'll get on on the Ohio State oh, bandwagon. Hi oh. <laughs> Still no, but um, I is it oh hi oh. Is that what it is? <laughs> Wait, are you actually <laughs> genuinely asking me? No. no. But they, um, you, you need to get a couple of good games in before the NFL season kicks off. Like you have to kind of try and tempt people into this is kind of must watch TV. And then you just get into the rhythm of watching it. And again, I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who just think it's blasphemous and that their Saturdays are dedicated to college football during the season. But for, you know, I think for a lot of people, you do need to get it back into the rhythm once after the break of the off season. You need that. Oh, yeah. Saturdays are back with college football. And so having a few big games early on helps to helps to achieve that. Yeah, you say that Ohio State Notre Dame game is a big matchup, but Ohio State are 17 and a half point favorites. I mean, it's three versus five or two, whatever you want to put, two versus five. Two know, teams in the top the crazy, five. I know. That's the crazy, crazy thing about college football, though, right? It's like, on paper, it's like, yeah, this is... And you'll have people picking Notre Dame to win, I'm sure. Like, there'll be ESPN experts going, I, I think there's going to be an upset. But they are 17 and a half point favorites. Yeah. Well, they also have C.J. Stroud, who's, I think, first or second in the Heisman race right now. <laughs> Before the season started. <laughs> well, if we can give him one tip, if he really wants to cement his place as a Heisman candidate, he should consider creating a fake girlfriend and maybe having her die off at some point during the season. It seems like that is one of the easier ways to ensure that you will at least make the Heisman ceremony, even if you might not get your hands on the actual trophy. And here you are saying you felt bad for him. And 30 minutes later, you're just ripping into him. I did feel bad for him. But can I, I mentioned this to you off the podcast. The one thing that really bothered me about that documentary was the implication that in the national title game, that had it not been for this distraction, that Notre Dame might have been able to keep up with Alabama. That one linebacker would would have made the difference. Yeah. If he had been a quarterback, and not to downplay the impact that a linebacker can have on a game, if he had at least been the quarterback, I maybe could have believed that storyline, that their offense just sort of fell apart because his his head was elsewhere. But to think that he just didn't, in a game in, in which they were totally blown out, that the issue was that their middle linebacker wasn't making enough tackles or getting a couple of sacks. That's why Alabama were just able to move the football on them at will and why their own offense wasn't able to do much. That that bit's the bit, it's a little bit of a stretch. But on that note, having praised Manti Teo and now slightly criticized him. Is that- you didn't criticize him, you just mocked him. <laughs> <laughs> criticize makes it sound like you're, you're, you're doing something professional. <laughs> you just mocked it's him. How- it's how I show my affection, Frank. So, so does that mean you're going to start an online relationship with them? Yes, I did. I have to admit, part of me, the other thing, just as a final thought on the documentary, I just watched how she was 
how this all started from her just adding him as a friend on Facebook. And then in my mind, I was like, damn, if I could go back 10 years, I should have just started adding random college football players as friends on <laughs> Facebook. So Not he, to catfish them. But. To go back, here's one thing I don't, unless I missed it, I feel they never addressed in the fact that they should have at least asked, was there ever money exchange? Between, in which direction? Manti to her or him, her. Where would he have had the money from? I mean, he was probably getting paid under the table at Notre Dame. Let's be let's be honest here. <laughs> this is back in the heyday. But do you think but, Notre, but, do you but think you know Notre Dame's I mean, really like uh, there was? Uh, I feel like it should at least have been asked. Was there any? Was there any transactions ever performed? You know, like was money ever sent or gifts ever sent or something like that? Because that's obviously a big part of catfishing is getting something from it. Yeah, but I mean, I think she was pretty clear on what she wanted from it, right? Or yeah, you say that, it. but should have at least asked. I would have liked a, a definitive no. And maybe they did, and the answer was no, and then they didn't feel like that. Maybe they got left on the cutting room floor. But I think that makes him look a little better. Because in the back of my mind, I think he probably sent some stuff to her as well. See, I didn't. I have to admit that it even crossed my mind. I well, never you've never considered. you've never successfully catfished anyone. <laughs> this is why this is why I drive a brand new BMW, Eddie. Because <laughs> the only way it would have made me feel that he looked worse was if the money was going from her to him, and that the, he had somehow financially benefited from the scenario, and then that was meaning that he was sort of turning a blind eye on what obviously looked like a little bit of a scam because he was getting something out of it. That would have been different. But hey, look, maybe you're right. Maybe Notre Dame are just really happy that this is their scandal from the 2010s and not the fact that they were paying players. Maybe that's why they distanced themselves. <laughs> yes. And then took an active role in this documentary. <laughs> so Ma they probably Manti, why, why is she living in that house we gave you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> But no, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it was. It's an interesting story. It is well worth watching, even if you're not a college football fan, even if you have no idea who who Manti Teo is. All right. Well, I guess with with the second helping of Manti Teo talk, I guess we can wrap it up. All right. I guess I'll do the bit you normally do, which is I'll talk to you later. All right. Cheerio. <laughs>